Turn back to Ecclesiastes, if you would. We're in chapter 7. And it will be on the screens and their Bibles over there if you need them. We saw the bookends of God's sovereignty around this wisdom section last time. Um, trusting and resting in Him and therefore in Christ, uh, seeking to apply more wisdom. And we really have a contrast between wisdom and, and foolishness or wisdom and folly in this little section on wisdom, which kind of harks us back to chapter 6. Um, but we'll, we'll read verses 1 to 4. If you remember, one of the things that just opens up the book of Ecclesiastes is to remember that when he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, that word vanity being hebel, meaning a vapor, meaning, you know, standing for uh, everything is transitory. Everything is, is here and it's gone. It, it won't last. It can't sustain your joy, your peace, your, your purpose, your happiness. The, uh, Solomon's purpose is to shake us out of trying to find life and satisfaction under the sun or in this world and to point us up to the God who rules and reigns and will judge. So his goal is that we'd have a biblical true fear of the Lord so that we know how to live for Him under the sun and we don't waste our days seeking our joy and satisfaction in the things here. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about wisdom and, and about death this morning. And uh, so I'm going to uh, read the first four verses of uh, chapter 7. And then we'll move forward. But this is the God's Word. Pay attention. Verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools in the house of mirth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in Christ Jesus we can face the most intimidating and horrible realities of life in a fallen world. And that, that being death. We don't have to guess what comes in death and after death because you have revealed that to us. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We are victorious over death because He has been victorious for us. So watch over us this morning. Cleanse us, fill us, clothe us, surround us, bless us, empower us, focus us. Help us to seek to understand and apply this section of your word. So bless the preaching. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Bless the hearing. Help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. Lord, for those who may not know you yet, work repentance and faith in them that they might turn and trust in Jesus. Those of us who do, nurture that repentance and faith that we might grow in grace and in walking and living with joy and confidence and purpose for you. 
So help us this morning, Lord. We give you praise. We trust you for it. We thank you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All our times have come here, but now they're gone. Seasons don't fear the reaper, nor do the wind, the sun, or the rain. We can be like they are. Come on, baby. Don't fear the reaper. Baby, take my hand. Don't fear the reaper. We'll be able to fly. Don't fear the reaper. Baby, I'm your man. La, 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 la. <laughs> Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult. It's an old song from the 70s. Not many of you were probably humming it as I read the lyrics. Some may have been. I saw a few smiles. Really, we're going to talk about the reaper. What does that mean? Death. Don't fear death. Really, this song doesn't help us know how to not fear death. It just says don't do it. But we're going to talk about that this morning um, as we look at these texts, this part of the text. But last time, the bookends of God's sovereignty. He reigns over everything, including our good days and our bad. He is the one who knows everything about our future. The secret things belong to Him. What is revealed belong to us. And He has revealed everything we need to know to live and to die successfully in Christ Jesus. And today he's revealed everything we need to know to face death. Not just to be white-knuckled, but to see it as a victory, as a blessing, as a blessed deliverance. And we'll begin to look at what it means. I, I entitled this, I'm, I'm making a joke, obviously, Your Better Life Now. Sort of tweaking at Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. I don't want my, this is not my best life, that comes later. But how to live your better life now, because better is over and over and over and over in this text. You'll see it as we look at it. That, that word translated into English as better, it's just all through here. So, your better life now. And we're going to start in 1 to 4 and put life and death into proper perspective, hopefully. Main point, live your better life now by having a good name and prioritizing death, funerals, and sorrow. That'll fill a big stadium, won't it? Everybody wants to hear that. Well, we will if we rightly understand it. The better life is life lived in Christ and therefore free of the fear of death. Now that should pique your interest, right? Because naturally speaking, we're all afraid to die. But Christ has come to set us free from that. And I, want, I stopped in verse 4. There's a lot here. But I just, and this may be part 1. We'll see how it develops. But I wanted us to see four things here. Four foundational beliefs that will help us live our better life now. Our Christ-centered life now. Our life walking through this earth with our hearts and eyes fixed on Him and being set free from the fear of death. We don't want to walk around morbid. We're not walking around like we've been baptized in pickle juice. We, 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 joy is an important aspect of life. But we want to see what this text is telling us because, again, Solomon is shaking us. He's using language that makes us go, huh? So we want to, we want to listen 
and pay attention. But four foundational beliefs for living your better life now. First, look at verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name is better. You see, riches and pleasure is how I did that. Precious ointment was a costly luxury. And it represents here in this text wealth and pleasure under the sun. The good things of life. The things that most people clamor after and seek after. And Solomon is saying that a good name is better than all of that. It's to be prioritized over all of that. Having a good name. Proverbs 22.1 sort of does us the favor of, of giving us that flavor of it. It says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. More important than all riches. Better than silver or gold. More profitable than silver or gold. Remember Jesus says, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Implied answer, nothing. No profit. So what is a good name then? Well, just bottom line, a good name is a good character. It's who we are. It's a good reputation. That's what it means by a good name. Having a good name, though, is first God-centered before it's man-centered. It's not just primarily caring what people think about us and trying to do everything we can do to please everybody around us. That will drive you crazy and kill you if you haven't tried it. A good name is first looking to God and seeking a good name and life as He defines it. Because listen, we know we're born into this world and the, 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 the verdict over us is all of our righteousness is filthy rags. We don't have a good name when we come into this world. We come into this world needing a good name, needing a Savior, needing reconciliation, needing forgiveness. So a good name first and foremost has to come from God so that He looks upon us and says, Good. Or righteous, and we know that that only comes through Christ. We'll talk about that in a minute. But a good name is attained by striving to develop a heart for God and a love for righteousness. And this produces a good reputation for us among those who are just generally, I guess you call it generally good people in the culture, or especially among those who love God. See, we do it not for the sake of the reputation themselves, but for the sake of pleasing our Creator. We first and foremost are to care what God thinks about us. Because we can have all, we can have everybody loves us, love us on this earth. And if, if God, if we're not reconciled to God, it, it counts for nothing. A good name is the reputation of one who has faith in Jesus and has been reconciled to God. More about that later, right? So we've been justified. We've been declared righteous. We've been cleansed of our sin and clothed in his righteousness and accepted as a child of God. A good name is the reputation of one who has faith in Jesus and is living for Jesus or, or following after Jesus. And Jesus is the, obviously the, the proto-example of this. He's the example of what it means to have a good name. Just because the wicked hated him and lied about him doesn't mean that he didn't have a good name. A truly good name starts with God and flows out to man. Some love good men and some hate them. But the hatred does not smear what God sees. 
as a good name or a good reputation. Luke 2.52 says this about Jesus as He's growing. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. See the first component there? And man. Knowing that He was the Son of God. He was truly human and truly divine. He was two natures in one person who had come to fulfill the law that we had broken and die to pay the penalty for our sins. But He was born not as an adult. He, he didn't just pop into the world. He was born under His own law, laid in a manger at exactly the right time. And He grew up succeeding where Adam had failed and Israel had failed and we have failed, loving His Father. He grew up, as, as pertains to his human nature, increasing in knowledge and wisdom. It says he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Stature there representing maturity. So obviously he was physically maturing, but he was also spiritually maturing as he grew up. He was truly God and truly man. He came to represent us to save us and reconcile us to God. He had a good name with God and therefore a good name with man. He was in submission to the law growing up. He would have been a perfect example, the only one of one who never sinned in thought, word, and deed, fulfilled the law and had the respect of his peers. But it doesn't mean he was loved by everyone. You know, just read the Gospels. Even the ones who should have been the master's of righteousness and the masters of the knowledge of the law who were whitewashed tombs, we know. They hated him, but that doesn't mean he didn't have a good name because his good name was with God first, his father, and then with man. Our good name is to be Godward first. Our reputation, our character is to come from a God-centered focus so that we're, we're seeking to love and live and please Him because He's reconciled us through Christ. Not to make ourselves reconcilable or savable, but because He has saved us, we seek in His strength then, guided by His Word, seeking to love Him, and therefore flowing out of that, loving neighbor as self, and especially loving one another as Christians the way Christ has loved us. Having a good name. Being reconciled to God, being defined by Him and His Word, being defined by Christ and hidden in Christ is better than all riches. It is the priority, is the thing you should pursue. Whether or not you get riches, you need Christ this morning. And a good name flows from a relationship through Christ with the Father by the power of the Spirit. It's better than all riches. So the first aspect of us having, uh, living our better life now is acknowledging that the most, more important thing is having a good name as God defines that. Being a child of God, being reconciled to God. And then look at the next thing he says. And these are connected. These are connected. A good name is better than precious ointment. Number two, the second thing we need to believe uh, in order to have our better life now. The day of death is better than the day of birth. For the one with a good name, don't, don't disconnect it from the first part of the verse. For the one with a good name, the day of death is better than the day of birth. This is, our, this is opposite our default setting, isn't it? 
Because we do a lot more celebrating about little babies being born than we do about believers passing on. We do. I'm not, ladies, don't look at me like that. I'm not saying don't celebrate the birth of the babies. That's a joyous thing. We should celebrate like crazy, right? Because God has given us a baby. But we ought to prioritize over that. The day of death. What does that mean? We need to be aware of the dangers this child faces as it comes into the world and the lure of foolishness that's going to come against them and seek to draw them to its side. So we need to be sober when this baby comes into the... We, we need to have baby showers and celebrate and have a great time in baby showers. And I told Cindy, and have one black flower at the baby shower to remind you this is a lost sinner. This is a viper in diapers. This baby needs Jesus. There's a lot of danger this baby is going to face. And to be conscious of that. And notice I didn't say all the flowers need to be black. She didn't even want one. I'm getting in trouble even now as I'm speaking. <laughs> but the day of death is better than the day of birth for the one that has a good name. So we should strive to have a good name and we should be invested in our children having a good name. We're not in control of that. You can be the best parent on the planet and have a child just go haywire. Okay? Who, Adam and Eve's parent was who? And they lost their minds, right? And it wasn't God's fault. The day of death is better than the day of birth. So we, we should have a, an, just an element of mourning on the day of birth. Because when the child is born, we don't know whether or not what their lives will look like, whether or not they will give in to foolishness, whether they will rebel and forsake the Lord. Right? Whether they will come to Christ. We pray, we hope, we know a lot of things about them. But if we're not careful, even as believers, we'll prioritize the day of birth over the day of death. Remember, the day of death is better for the one who has a good name. It's for those who have a good name, the believer. It's connected with that previous part. The day of death is better because for the one with a good name, death has been tamed by Jesus. Death has been made a servant. It's no longer this wild and fearful thing, but it has been tamed for the one with a good name. Death must serve those who have a good name now. No fear. Set free. Why? How? Because we're born into this world fearing death. We're born wanting to live forever. We don't even want to think about death. We don't want to talk about death. We don't want to plan for death. But God, who is rich in love, while we were sinners, reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Christ came. See, this is why Christ came, because we were alienated from God and afraid of death, and we should be if we don't have a good name, if we're outside of Jesus. Christ came, lived under His own law, and fulfilled all righteousness. Then Christ took the guilt and condemnation of His people upon Himself on the cross and paid the penalty. And because He was God and man, He could drink that cup dry, even though it was a fearful cup, right? And He said, before He left the cross, He said, it is finished. What is finished? He had paid. He had suffered. He had taken the hell we deserve upon Himself and drank that cup dry. So that to us, salvation could be a free gift. Because that's the only way we could ever 
have it. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, Paul says, and He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures and was seen by over 500 people at one time before He ascended. He is the Son of God who has come and died for the sins of His people. And on the basis of God giving His Son, Acts 17, 30 and 31, God commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn and to trust in Him and to receive Him. Are you in Jesus this morning? If you're not, don't count on another day. God calls and indeed commands you to repent this morning and to trust in His Son. If you are, you are reconciled to God. If you are trusting in, I didn't ask you if you had a perfect faith. Look around in this room. I promise you, and I'm not looking in everybody's windows. Not one person sitting in this room or watching over the live stream has a perfect faith. Not one person, if they're thinking, doesn't have days when they doubt. Right? If our, if our faith is a meter, some days it's over way over here. It's not pegged out. Some days it's way over here and we don't even feel like we have any faith. But God is sustaining us and growing us through the all. Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone? Because for the unbeliever, those without a good name, the day of birth is better. For the unbeliever, the day of birth is better. Because this is as good as it's going to get. And boy, looking around these days, that's not much to hang on to, is it? If you're not trusting in Jesus, this is as good as it's going to get for you. Grab all the gusto you can get. Try to gain the whole world. But it's appointed for man to live once and to then die and stand before God in judgment. Are you ready? You need a good name. It's more important than anything else. For the unbeliever, the day of birth is better. But for the believer, the day of death is better. I really want to set you and me free from the fear of death. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And we may be faced with that situation at some point in our lives. So why is the day of death better for the one with a good name? Number one, God is in control. He is sovereign. Remember we talked about that between, in the brackets last week. The first reason our, death is, our day of death is better than the day of birth is our day of death is planned. It's planned. It's written down. This is another verse I'm trying to peg into our heads. God has planned your day of death. Just as He planned your day of birth, where you would live, all of that, Acts 17. You must grasp this if you're going to live free of the fear of death. Psalm 139.16 God knit us together in the womb. Even before we were knit together in the womb, He knew us. Go read Psalm 139. Read it slowly. Read it thoughtfully. But verse 16 says this. Now watch this. In your book were written every one of them. What? The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So the days that were formed for me were written in his book before there was one. And I won't outlive those days. And neither will you. But I won't die before that day. And neither will you. That's why Stonewall Jackson could say, listen to me. He could say, I'm as safe in battle as I am in bed. Until the day that the Lord has marked out for me. 
He said, and if all people would embrace that, they too could live with this kind of bravery. Think about that. Battle on a horse. Bullets. Things flying at you. Maybe going through your clothes. Maybe skin in your head. He's like, I'm as safe there as I am in bed because God has me and His purpose for me will be fulfilled and every one of the days He's marked out for me, I will have. Not one less and not one more. And there's a lot of mystery of that in God's sovereignty, okay? And I get that. And we talked about that last week. I'm going to point you back there because i got a lot to cover. But every one of your days were written down before there was one. So no need to walk around scared. Good southern lingo. No fear is good if you have a good name. No fear is a bad philosophy if you're not reconciled to God. You should be very afraid. But in, your, in his book were written every one of my days. So first reason I can, the day of death is better is this plan by my father who loves me and sent his son to pay for my sins. Secondly, death is defeated. So it's planned and for the believer, death is defeated. I use this in funerals sometimes, but I'll just quote it for you. Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer 37. I'm just going to give you the answer. But what, what are the benefits of believers at death? Look, this is a summary of what the Bible teaches. The souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness. And do immediately pass. There's no purgatory. There's no transition. There's no waiting. Do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in the graves until the resurrection. The soul, our soul, your inner person, if you're trusting in Jesus, the moment you take your last breath, you are in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. From the Lord. With the Lord. Told you, I can't talk this morning. Passing into glory, set free. Death is just a shuttle ride into His presence. The one who died for you. He's not, he doesn't expect you to earn your salvation. The one who paid for your sins, was raised for your justification, is reigning for you as the church and to see His gospel goes to the ends of the earth, whose arms are open to you. Not because you deserve it, because He does. So to die, if we die before the return of Christ, our souls, bang, are perfected and in His presence. Doesn't sound very scary, does it? This is your Savior. This is the one who loved you and died for you. you know, we, don't, we, don't, we might not be afraid of death, but we might be afraid of the process. It might be a scary process, but even that, you can trust to Him. He'll be with you and for you and cash it all in for His glory and your good. At the return of Jesus, we might all still be alive when He comes back. And if we really are grasping the gospel, our heart should become Lord Jesus. And you're looking around now, these later, these this year, you probably say, please come Lord Jesus. Right? But look at this in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die. But we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable. Notice, talking about the body. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up 
in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's gone. Christ took it. It stung Him. The truck of death ran over Him, so the shadow of the truck just passes over us as we are ridden into His presence. Christ took the fearful part, the destructive part, the wrathful part, so that we wouldn't have to face it. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself, Jesus, partook of the same things. That, watch the purpose, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. As long as we're walking around afraid to die, we are in a form of slavery. But if we're rightly understanding the gospel and applying that to our lives, if we're believing Jesus, we'll be set free from the fear of death, not under any sort of slavery, living for God's glory and trusting Him to take us where He wants to take us. Jesus defanged death for us. So it's planned. Death is defeated. And death is celebrated by the Lord. By the Lord. Psalm 116. This is the verse I was talking about when I read Psalm 116. For the believer, death is not a tragedy. No matter how it happens. It's not an accident. It's not a tragedy. We grieve, yes, but grieve as those with hope. But look what the scriptures say about death of the saints. Everyone who believes in Jesus is a saint. It's not an extra tier. And if you've done miracles and... If you're trusting in Jesus, read the, the Bible carefully. You're a saint. Why? Because Christ has made you one. Anyway. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His... Precious in the sight. Precious in the sight of the Lord. Notice the precious ointment in verse 1. The good name's better than that. This is that God says precious in His sight is the death of His saints. He's bringing His child home. He's setting His child free. Their souls made perfect in holiness. They, they fly into the arms of their Father who loves them and has purchased them in Christ. So it's celebrated. It's, 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 it's defeated. It's planned. We need not fear it. See, we prioritize death by entering fully into the Lord's victory over death on our behalf. This is the only way to be set free from the fear of death and actually see it as a good thing. This is where true gospel funerals help us. Don't ever ask me to preach a funeral if you don't want the gospel to be preached. I probably would suggest if you don't want somebody to be offended, don't ask me to preach your funeral. But it'll be the gospel, not me, right? But we have to be real about what's going on. The day of death is better for the one with a good name. Look at verse 2. It's better to go to a funeral than a party. This is the third thing. This is the third thing we're looking at. A good name is better than riches and pleasure. The day of death is better than the day of birth. 
It is better to go to a funeral than a party. I'm not saying don't have fun at parties. I'm just saying this says it's better. It's better for you. Look at verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay at the heart. It is better. How do we take death? How do we see funerals as better than parties? I mean, do you think like that? A funeral is far better than a party. It doesn't mean you're going to enjoy it more. It means it's better for you. Right? And there's nothing wrong with enjoying a party as long as you're enjoying it in a way that honors God. But this is more practical. This is better for you. This is calls you to higher reality, calls you to remember who you are and where you live. Funerals are better than parties because they warn us of our coming death and they urge us to prepare and be wise. That's why it's better to go to the house of mourning. Parents, don't hide the reality of death from your children. I mean, you have to be careful when they're small and explain it to them. But I've known people who just don't let their kids go to funerals. That's not a good idea. You need to be from an early age telling them the real deal about life and how much they need Christ. A funeral is better to a party. Why? He gives us the reason for this is the end of all mankind. We're all going there. I mean, I made a lot of my family mad when I put both my hands on my mother's casket and told them that we are all going here. Be ready. Funerals prepare us and urge us to be wise. Psalm 90 verse 12 said this, Lord, we want to be wise, right? It says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. The, the Net Bible says, teach us to consider our mortality so that we might live wisely. And living wisely means embracing your mortality and resting in Christ's gift of immortality. Embracing your mortality and resting in Christ's gift of immortality. That's why a funeral is better, because it faces us with the reality that we too someday will be in, people will be hopefully gathered around mourning in hope, our passing. It's going to happen to every one of you. We will will die. It's appointed to die once, not not, not zero, not twice. Wanted to die once, and then the judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says. But we live wisely by embracing that and rushing to God in repentance and receiving Christ as our Savior. Why? Look at 2 Timothy, one of the last letter Paul wrote. But it says this, God, I'm putting God in there in verse 9 just so you know who it's talking about. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, not because of what we've done but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Watch what He did. Who abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus has abolished death for you if you're trusting in Him. Yes, your body will die, but remember, immediately, in His presence. 
Your soul will go immediately. Your soul, your spirit, you will never, that will never die. You will go from this body to His presence and await the resurrection when you will get a new body. Jesus came and abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. What does immortality mean? Imperishable, never die, all, all, all that talk. Look at what Jesus said in 5.24, John 5.24. Truly, truly, emphasis. When you see that truly, he's emphasizing this. Repetition is emphasis. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, notice the, the, the tense there, has, present tense, eternal life. He does not come into judgment or condemnation, but has already, you could put, passed from death to life. The one who believes the Father, who's testifying about His Son, who, who believes in Jesus, present tense, has eternal life. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you have immortality. You will never die the real you, your inner man, your inner person. If you die, if you, if you sleep, the Scripture says, before Christ returns, you just go immediately into His presence and wait on a new suit of clothes, a new body. Jesus says, if you're trusting Me, you have right now everlasting life. And you will not come into condemnation, but you've already passed from death to life. The outer person is wasting away, Scripture says, but the inner one is being renewed day by day. In Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. You are reconciled to God. You are clothed in His righteousness. You are His child. And death is like walking through the door out of the house into His arms. Believe the Word of God. You don't have to fear death. Christ took the fearful part for you. And He's brought to you life and immortality in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. When you believe in Him, you have everlasting life. It starts now. Paul says you are a new creation now. You don't feel like it, I know, and the older you get, the less you feel like it. You feel like a pretty old creation, right? But the real you, the inner person, new creation. Last thing I'll say this morning is, is the next little section. Sorrow is better than laughter. This is another reason, another thing, another foundational belief that helps us live our better life. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools in the house of mirth. Sorrow is better than laughter. Don't you see all the people clamoring to come in here and hear that? But it, it's right there on the page. Sorrow is better than laughter. But he gives a reason. Sorrow serves us better than laughter. Listen, he's not saying never laugh. He's not saying don't have a sense of humor. He's not saying enjoy life. He's just saying have better, have priorities. <coughs> Sorrow serves us better. 
Sorrow is better than laughter. Godly sorrow, true godly sorrow serves us better than laughter. Sorrow over the wickedness of, and misery of life in a fallen world is an aspect of those with the good name. But in general, sorrow is just better. Most times we think deeper in sorrow than we do when we're just, whoo, yay, having a party. Sorrow tends to make us think about the deeper realities of life, serves us well so that we then take those seriously and turn and grow through it. And therefore our hearts are made glad or better or good. Sorrow serves us better if we think rightly about it. Again, this is all the people with a good name. Those without a good name will, will prioritize laughter, never want to be sorry. But this is a warning for those who want only the parties and only the good times and who seek to avoid all sadness and sorrowful occasions. The wise man partakes both and prioritizes sorrow as more beneficial in a fallen world because it makes us think more. It leads us more to the, to the wisdom he's calling us to walk in. Again, not that enjoyment is bad. Right? We want to have a good time. We want to be people of joy. We want to enjoy parties when we go to them. But we just need to have right priorities and know where we live. Jesus said some hard things to shake us like Solomon does sometimes. He said, whoever loves life, whoever loves his life, implication here in this fallen world and wants to hang on to it, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Man, if, this, if the world's good enough for you, you don't really want anything better, I hope you get a lot of it because it's the best it's going to get. True, those with a good name, those in whom the Spirit of God dwells, mourn over sin and misery and death that we see in our own lives as well as the lives of the people around us in the world. Jesus. This is... A, hyperbole in a sense, and it's like when he says, if you don't hate your family, you can't follow me. It's like priorities. I'm, I'm to be the most important. In comparison to your love for me, your love for others is to be hatred. So we need to take life in this fallen world seriously. And those who have a good name do. They heed the warning that verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. The house of mourning calls us to take the realities of life seriously. The house of mirth, we just try to forget our problems when we're at the party. And that's okay, as long as that's not all of life. Hear it. Face death down. Look it right in the eyes. Stop running from it and stop being afraid from it. Afraid of it. But look it in the eyes through Jesus. And the, the reconciliation that he's made for you in the sacrifice of his self. So just quickly, as you go away, think about these things. Read this again. Think about what I've said. Read the other verses again. Realize that the good name is most important, that the day of death is better for those who have a good name, and it, that the, the house of mourning serves us better than the house of feasting. So number one, pursue a good name with God in Christ. Trust in Jesus. Follow Him. Believe His Word. Number two, 
Embrace your mortality in light of the gospel. Let Jesus set you free from the fear of death. You'll never be good enough in yourself to not fear death. But He's good enough for you to deliver you from the fear of death. Number three, prioritize sorrow over sin, not sorrow over sin, but your sorrow over sin in the world and the misery it's created and the fallenness in this world. This is not, what is that telling us? This is not our home. It's not our home. This is, we're exiles, we're aliens here. This is our temporary residence while we're on mission for God. This is not our continual party house. I'm not saying don't enjoy life. Please don't go away saying that. Christians should be filled with joy because they've been set free from death and they're looking to Christ. But it's okay to be sorrowful of suffering and sin and wickedness and stuff that you see around you. In fact, it's a priority. And the last thing I would say is let the good news of deliverance from death push you out to others who need the good news of this gospel. Let the good news, let the gospel push you out to those who need to hear about a Savior who can set them free from the fear of death. See, the Blue Oyster Cult song just gives us law. It just tells us don't be afraid, right? Don't fear the reaper. But it doesn't tell us how. But in Jesus and in His priorities, we find the antidote to the fear of death. We trust, love, and seek to live for Him who died for us to deliver us from both the fear of death and the reality of death. For the believer, death is now a beloved servant that carries us straight into the presence of our loving Lord. And we will be with Him forever. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us to heed your word. Help us to trust you through your Son, by your Spirit. Help us to have your word hidden in our hearts. Deliver us from the fear of death, from the fear of man, from the fear of anything, but unto the fear of you the delight and love and joy and awe and reverence and trust and, and commitment to you that the gospel brings to us. Lord Jesus, thank you for defanging death for us. Thank you for taking the reality of death and condemnation for us. Thank you for suffering and fulfilling all justice and righteousness for us. Thank you for washing away our sins in the blood of your sacrifice. Help us to trust you. And Lord, help our souls to rest in you so that we fear you and we don't fear death and we live for you as people with a new name, a new reputation, being reconciled to God. Lord, save our children. Save from the youngest person listening to the oldest. Grant us faith and repentance to come to you and faith and repentance growing to walk in you. May Christ truly be life for us. And therefore, may we be bold as a lion for you. 
Thank you for your love. We know we love you because you first loved us. So we look to you and rest in you in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.